Once again, welcome and greetings from Elfie's World, a place where we try to bring you a little fun, pique your interest, and maybe, maybe even give you an opportunity to learn a thing or two about history. You know, we're so glad that you decided to join us today. Great to have you here. Today, we're presenting another program from our collection of Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, these are true stories which have often, well, they're even been, maybe been overlooked or sometimes not given quite the attention they should by the professors of history. We're, we're going to leave it to you to decide why they've been neglected in the annals of time. My name is Elfie Wolfram, and I hope you enjoy our presentation. Today's episode, number 18, is more on the serious side. It is entitled, A Small Town Miracle. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy. You know, having collected true and unusual stories from the annals of history for over half a century, stories which in many cases are more unbelievable than most fiction writers could possibly ever create, it would be hard for me to select a single favorite. However, if I were forced to do so, this is one story which would be at or near the top of the list. It is a narrative which is capable of being able to overwhelm even the most jaded of individuals. And, I am told, it is absolutely, positively true. It was the spring of 1958 in the tiny hamlet of St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin, located well, less than an hour north of St. Paul, Minnesota. For William Henry Froling, a small-town street maintenance worker, it started like any other routine day. Little did he realize his entire world would change forever before that day had ended. Bill was one of those people in the community that, well, everybody seemed to know and like. Working as a street maintenance person in a town of only 2,000 residents, he had to be a jack-of-all-trades, able to wear many hats. On this sunny day, he and his partner, Reeser Adams, were scheduled to make a final run with their huge jump truck, equipped with a plow in the front. It was time to remove what was hoped to be the last deposit of snow for that season. At the age of 49, Bill was a rather small-statured man with a well-developed physique. Years of tackling every physical job which was needed to be done in his little rural community had left him in excellent shape. With a twinkle in his eye, which denoted a friendly mischief-maker, he had a joy of life which made him fun to be around. Well, climbing into the cab of that huge maintenance truck, he lowered the blade of the truck's plow until it touched the pavement. Bill then reached down to start the truck's engine and began plowing. Suddenly, something went terribly wrong. 
Without any warning, Bill abruptly slumped forward onto the steering wheel of the truck. It didn't take a doctor to recognize the fact that he was having a massive heart attack. Realizing the survival time for his friend could be counted in seconds, Reeser leaped into the cab of the truck. Pushing his unconscious partner to one side, he got behind the wheel and headed for the small local hospital at breakneck speed. Sparks flew from the plow blade, which was still lowered the, to the pavement. Upon his arrival at the ER, Bill's lifeless body was immediately wheeled into surgery. Now, on duty that day at the St. Croix Valley Hospital were the two resident physicians, Dr. Regal and Dr. Belchi. Not only did both doctors know Bill personally, Dr. Regal was also one of Bill's regular hunting partners. Immediately recognizing Bill, the two doctors began external heart massage the instant he was taken from the truck and placed on the gurney. But there was no response. The wheels of that mobile stretcher had hardly stopped rolling into the hospital's one and only operating room when Dr. Regal cut open Bill's chest and began feverishly to directly massage his heart by hand. But still no response. Though having dealt with many heart attacks, neither of these two doctors were heart specialists. Then, at that precise moment, Dr. Belchi remembered an article he had just read that very morning in an AMA journal. The commentary had described developmental work that was being done on a new experimental device. It was being designed to restart a stopped heart by the use of an electrical shock. Though a scattering of research had been done over the past decade, it was still in the developmental stage. No one really knew how reliable such a treatment could be. I mean, even if it did restart the heart, might it destroy the effectiveness of that organ? Could there be adverse effects on the brain? But there was no time to ponder these issues. The only question in the minds of Dr. Regal and Dr. Belchi was, could something similar be improvised instantly to save their friend's life? While Dr. Belchi continued to massage Bill's heart, Dr. Regal rushed into the adjacent hall with his scalpel still in his hand. There, he found the hospital's maintenance man, Howard Johnson, dutifully waxing the floor. In a single stroke, the doctor ripped the waxing machine's plug from the wall's electrical socket and cut off the power cord at the point it went into the machine. Holding onto that 30 feet of power cord and its plug, Dr. Regal sprinted back into the operating room. Using his scalpel, he stripped the insulation from each of the two ends of that power cord. Then, using surgical tape, he connected each of those two bare wired ends of that power cord to metal probes. Realizing every second lost increased the potential for permanent, irreversible brain damage for Bill, 
he merely doused each of those probes with alcohol to sterilize them. The cord was then plugged into a wall outlet. Holding the probes with rubber gloves for protection from the electrical charge, Dr. Regal touched each of those electrified probes directly to Bill's heart. His body convulsed and his heart twitched. Then nothing. Again, the probes were applied to that exposed heart. Once more, Bill's heart and body reacted. But again, nothing. Realizing time was running out, one last desperate application of the electrified probes was applied to Bill's heart. Once more, the heart shuddered. But this time, there was a definite beat. Faint, yes, but it was a heartbeat. Dr. Belchi began feverishly to massage the ailing heart once more. There was another beat. Soon, the heart was beating on its own, weak and frail, but it was beating. Once the heartbeat was restored to, well, some semblance of normality, Dr. Regal began to put Bill's chest back together again. Those two miracle doctors had done the impossible. Perhaps for the first time in a real life-and-death situation, a crude electrical shock device had been used to successfully restart a heart. But now what? Bill's brain had been deprived of oxygen for a long, long period of time. I mean, even if his heart continued to work, would Bill be left in a continued vegetated state, having no conscious being? Well, Bill had a son, Jim, who was working in Kansas City at the time. When Jim heard what had happened to his father, he broke speeding laws in four different states, rushing home to be at the bedside of his critically ill parent. As he entered the hospital room, he saw his father lying in bed, unconscious, eyes closed. Jim tried to speak to his father, but there was no response. As Jim sat by his father's bedside, too stunned to speak or even think, slowly Bill's eyes opened. But there was a blank, empty, expressionless stare on his face. Jim's heart sank. Did this mean his father would be in a vegetated state, unable to think or communicate for the rest of his life? His tears welled up in Jim's eyes. Suddenly, his father turned to him and said, What are you doing here? Why aren't you in Kansas City? The impossible had happened. Not only had Bill survived the heart attack ordeal, but there was also no apparent damage to his brain. Over the next month, Bill slowly and miraculously regained his health.
When it was time for him to go home, Dr. Regal sat down with Bill and his wife. He carefully explained that Bill was living on borrowed time, estimating that he had about six months at the outside, less than a year to live. He strongly urged Bill to go home and get his affairs in order, make peace with God, and enjoy to the fullest whatever little time he had left, for each moment of life was a bonus. The doctor quietly told Bill and his wife a fatal heart attack was definitely imminent. So, what did Bill do? How did he live out his last few days? Did he take advantage of his second chance for life? Well, true to his promise to Dr. Regelman, Bill went home and began to put his affairs in order. He proceeded to do the obvious, make out a will, pay off any debts, make arrangements for his burial, whatever would bring his family peace of mind. Now, with virtually no life insurance and now unable to acquire any, Bill purchased some income property to help support his family after his passing. He then set out to live every one of his bonus days to its fullest. Now, with a love of fishing, most weekends would see him off to his much-loved fishing hole with his wife and children. Along the way, he would stop by his favorite tavern, where many of his friends would often be gathered. While there, he would have a glass of beer, uh, just one, with his pals. And often, before leaving, he would engage them in a spirited card game. He also was rather sly about some things. Now, if his wife would ask him to do something around the house which he uh, he had no desire of doing, such as uh, wiping the dishes, <laughs> with an impish grin, he would merely reply, I don't want to spend the last day of my life wiping dishes. As for Dr. Regelman's dire prediction, well, he was right. William Henry Frawling did die of a massive heart attack. In 1992, 34 years later, at the ripe old age of 83. Oh, Bill and his family had gone on to enjoy every one of those bonus years, realizing each moment of every one of those days was a gift to be treasured. Oh, oh, if only, if only each of us could be given the same realization that had been gifted to Bill. Perhaps, perhaps we could all feel we were living lives which were indeed amazing and miraculously true. I would like to thank Jim Froling, 
son of William Henry Froling, for providing us with this story. Our episode number 18, entitled, A Small Town Miracle. It's part of our weekly series entitled, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, each week, we feel privileged to present for your enjoyment and edification a brand new audio story from our collection of amazing but true stories from history. Now, some of these narratives come from our book entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More. As a listener to this program, you are entitled to purchase autographed copies of our original book, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More, at half the publisher's price of $13.95 or a mere $7 per book. Oh, and that includes shipping and handling. For more information, merely go to elfiesworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D, elfiesworld.com. Then click on Elfie the Writer for more information. And now, I would like to thank the following for helping to make this program possible. First, Garrett Wolfram, our technical producer and supervisor. The late Irene Wolfram, principal editor and provider of Sage Council expert publishing for their help in editing and publishing our book. Lucas Ganza Anna Waltz for the Parlor Guitar Magic Set. Herbert Bolin for his Piano Mood Happy Four. Ninad Simic for Piano Transition. And finally, the thousands of readers who have supported our efforts from the beginning. <laughs> 